today's episode of the podcast. I've got some wonderful guests here, of course, on all things mental health of Mike Rose. The, the beauty of what we try to do here is to cover any and all aspects related to mental health and substance abuse and be able to talk about that and get those out. We encourage, of course, our listeners to always send the podcast, tell others about the podcast. We really depend on our listeners to help us get the word out because we don't have enough education and awareness about mental health related issues. But today, uh, the podcast, we're going to take a little bit different uh, take on this issue. And I have two wonderful guests with me. I'd like to introduce them now. Sierra Humphrey and Ainsley Wolfenbarger. And both of these young women are currently uh, medical students, uh, just finishing up their second year at the University of Oklahoma. We're so glad we need more docs, and we're just excited about these young women in training. Uh, they're going to be going into their clinicals in their third year here before long, and they're excited about that. And uh, they've taken some time out from their studies to come in today and and be uh, my guest on the uh, on the podcast. I'll just preface here a little bit before I let you ladies kind of. Uh, I want you to introduce yourselves, but, uh, you know, we talk about with athletics, uh, you know, sporting events, sport competition is a huge, huge thing in our culture. And we talk about a lot about wins and losses and, you know, uh, we have our teams and our passion about that. It's uh, they're like reality shows in the moment, you know, and uh, and we also talk about physical injuries, but we don't always talk that much about the mental health and emotional side of what athletes experience. We oftentimes think about that it's the glamorous, oh my gosh, I'd love to be in their shoes. And we sort of at times, I think, live vicariously through athletes and their work. Parents do that. We do that watching these events, what have you. But sometimes we don't talk about the mental health aspects of that. And so the guests today, they're going to do that. I want to just, uh, I'll start with you, Sierra. And I would just like to start with you and just kind of let you Take some time, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your sport and your athletic career and kind of bring us up and then we'll get into some more of the details of, of why we're here today and what we're covering. Go ahead. Um, hi, guys. My name is Sierra Humphrey. I'm a second year med student at the University of Oklahoma, like Mr. Bruce said. I started playing softball when I was probably four years old. I started on this little co-ed team out in Macomb, Oklahoma, and there it was just so much fun and I stuck with it immediately, like really loved the sport. I got into high school and played for Tecumseh High School. And that was so much fun because I grew up with like the same girls I was playing. And so that was a really special time. And we broke a lot of records there as a group and got to go to state all four years. And just the amount of memories that I have through that was amazing. And I feel like those are things that I carry with all the time. And one of my favorite things that happened was we usually played state on my birthday. And so like one time I was up to bat and the whole time entire like student section was singing me happy birthday. And that was like the best memory ever. So sports brings a lot of good things. I got to carry it on into college and played at Houston Baptist, which is now Houston Christian and got to spend four years there playing the sport I loved. And now that has taken me into med school. And now I get to kind of explore my academic side and it's been tough to leave sports behind a little bit but it's also been like a nice transition and a new chapter that's been really fun and exciting yeah we'll come back to you a little bit sarah and uh, talk more about this mental health side what have you and uh um ainsley uh wolfenbarger if you would like to introduce yourself and uh 
and kind of uh, give us some of your background. Absolutely. Um, so first, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited just to get to be here and be talking with you and get to share a little bit of our heart and our experience. Um, it's also something that doesn't get talked about, I think, near enough. So we're really excited about that. But Yes, my name is Ainsley, and I was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I am an Oklahoma girl through and through. Um, started playing soccer and basketball and softball and really all the sports. As soon as I could walk, I was kind of that like kid that just wanted to do everything. Um, and it was hard to say no to things and just wanted to explore. But pretty soon found that like soccer and basketball were my jam. I played soccer and basketball through high school at Bixby. So grew up at Bixby. Coast Spartans. So that was great. Got to play and then knew that soccer ultimately was, you know, my passion and what I just love the most. And so I got the opportunity to play collegiately at the University of Miami in Florida. Um, so went there, played soccer and had a great time. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still an Oklahoma girl. So it's been great to come back home and get to start medical school here and be close to family and um, connect with people like Sierra who are passionate about the same things um, that we have kind of that same background and stuff. And I think now we have even this passion to connect with not just like youth, but like, you know, kids in general, as we have athletes who are wanting to compete at the high level like that and knowing things that we've gone through and that sort of thing. So definitely excited to dive into that. But that's just a little bit about my story. Uh, let start with you kind of a little bit about how, what has been your experience around mental health issues, your competition at the University of Miami as a, as a D1 soccer player? Yeah. So no, that's a great question. I have um, unfortunately had to navigate a lot of injuries, um, even some health setbacks through my college year specifically. Um, had an injury that kept me out and ended up having to redshirt a year as I was recovering from that. And so dealing with that, when you're playing at a high level, you already put, you know, we're the it's in the DNA of athletes. We hold ourselves to a high standard and you want to perform. And sometimes a little bit of your identity and your worth gets put in that and also wanting to be there for your team. And so when you do have physical injuries, obviously there's a physical component, right? But you mentioned that mental component of that was definitely the season where I struggled, I think, the most with my mental health of feeling like, OK, I can't contribute right now to my team. And um, I've had great experiences um, through the years with a lot of my athletic trainers, and I think they're fantastic and so needed. I think sometimes, though, in sports, you get asked about your physical health. How's your ankle doing today? But not like, hey, how are you? Like, how's your wellness? How's your mental health? That doesn't really get asked about. And sometimes it's almost like that's a weakness to show. Like you, you've got to get it together for your team, or you've got to um, just be able to play through that or get through that. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of when I, I first started noticing that I struggle with my mental health when I was out a season. Um, and even to be just completely open and transparent at times uh, through my just career and play. And I found myself in a, a situation with an unhealthy relationship with a coach where that did become toxic um, of just really struggling with not really getting help uh, for mental health or any of those things and recognizing that some of my teammates were in the same boat. And as we reached out and tried to navigate next steps and, and get help, you know, some of those answers were well, go work it out on the field. That's that should be your release or just kind of get over it just be stronger. You know, you're just mentally, you just have to be tougher. Um, and so I think a lot of times it gets just kind of thrown under the rug. And that's that's tough because uh, we already have, I think, a hard enough time admitting vulnerability when you're an athlete and you want to have that 
appearance of strength and being strong for your team and um, playing through things. We'll play through injuries. We'll play through the things. So then it just carries over to, well, I've got to play through the mental side of things that's going on. Um, And I think some of that too is just awareness of like what you're experiencing. I think a lot of times athletes will find themselves in a situation where, man, I'm, I'm feeling just like down. I'm, you know, irritable, like all these things. Well, we don't know. And young athletes don't know that they're feeling depressed or they're having anxiety attacks or these things because it doesn't get talked about. So then they don't know. And then they think that that's normal. And so I think some of it too is like being able to just start normalizing it, um, starting the conversation and helping people see that. And then there being resources in the next step because I didn't always have that. And um, I have definitely had great experiences with some coaches through the years who I have felt have really cared for me, you know, and have been great coaches and demanding and, and made me better, but also supported me in that way. But unfortunately, I, I think the culture in athletics is that a, a lot aren't that way. And I think we have a lot of work to do to address some of that systemic um, issue and just culture and toxicity sometimes within mental health uh, with student athletes. Yeah, Sarah, you want to come in with that and uh, on that theme and your experience a little bit related to that. I think, again, here where it gets into what goes on with an individual, but it also has to do with uh, these complex relationships between teammates and between athletes and their coaches, I think. But you want to also add to that? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've, uh, since we talked about being on this podcast, I feel like I've done like a lot of reflecting on my time at HBU and just kind of thinking about what it was like to be an athlete in that situation. Like softball, a lot of the time people will tell you like softball is like 99% mental and maybe 1% physical. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that, whatever. But thinking back now, like I really, that is so true. And I wish I would have taken that a little bit more seriously. I will say I was very fortunate with my coaches. They cared about me as a person. And to be honest, a lot of the reason of why I'm in med school today and here and being able to do cool things like this is because of them. Um, They like took time to invest in me and talk to me off the field and care about like who I was when I was not playing softball. Even looking back about that, like I'm so grateful to have that experience. But like like you said, and like Ains said, a lot of the times you don't recognize that you're feeling that way and that this is, you know, a problem with your mental health because, you know, a lot of the times if you have a fundamental problem, like if I'm like not feeling the ball correctly, if I'm not getting my glove down and really keeping my palm out to feel the ball, my coach is going to be like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, let's do some drills. Let's fix that. But you don't recognize that with yourself with mental health sometimes. And I like remember I had a really like rough season my junior and like half half of senior year and I like could not hit the ball. And it was it was so frustrating because at that level, you're supposed to be performing so well. And I could not figure out why I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. And now that I've taken some time to kind of reflect on that, I realized that I was my fundamentals of like thinking about the game were sick. I just like didn't do the correct drills to prepare myself mentally to be able to hit the ball. And I wasn't I wasn't really sitting with the fact of, okay, how is this affecting me and how I view myself? So I think like if I could go back, I would try to spend some more time fixing my head up here rather than trying to like hone in really more on like the mechanics of hitting. And um, I feel like a lot of athletes struggle with that. Like some of my teammates, phenomenal players, we would be 
we would be in practice. They'd be launching balls over the fence left and right. And we would be having competitions of how many we could hit over. And like when somebody would hit the ball over the scoreboard, that like was a big celebration. Um, And then you would get in the game and you'd be like, why am I not doing this? I can do this in practice. Why am I not doing it here? And I feel like a lot of the times we put so much focus on, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this to be successful. But we leave out so many important things of like, how am I going to prepare myself mentally to face this challenge? That was something I never took the time to do. And I feel like if I would have, then I would have had a more explosive year to kind of end my softball career. Yeah. Talk, you know, talk about how when you're struggling either with an injury or performance, you know, how, what does that do in terms of as a high performing athlete? What does that do with your self-esteem? Yeah, that so that's tough. One of the biggest things is I've had to learn is my identity is not Sierra the softball player. My identity is, is Sierra the friend, Sierra the daughter, Sierra the Christ follower, Sierra the person who wants to, you know, show kindness to people. And that was really hard to kind of put that separation because a lot of the times like your value is how well you're doing. Like you know, they give out awards for people who have explosive offensive seasons, defensive seasons. And when you're not receiving those, it makes you feel less. And sometimes, you know, when you see your teammates do that, you're excited for them. But you're like, man, like I need to get it together. Um, and sometimes that's a really good thing. Like it gives you that healthy competition to be able to want to perform better. But sometimes when it feels like nothing's going right for you, it just puts you kind of further down in a rut. People who do well in things need to be celebrated, but we also need to I think kind of but more of an emphasis on seeing someone is struggling and trying to lift them up. And my teammates did that a lot for me. I wish I would have been able to do it more for myself. I just feel like a lot of the times your identity is solely focused in what you do. Like with all the NIL stuff with athletes now, I think that's wonderful. But sometimes, you know, I feel like maybe there needs to be a little bit more regulation on it just because so much of like who you are in the you know, NCAA and in the world of an athlete is what you can do on the field, like on the court, all of that. And sometimes there's so much more than that. And I just, it's hard to kind of see athletes go through this of like struggling with, well, who am I? Like once I stopped playing softball, I had no idea. And that was really hard to kind of swallow. And I'm still trying to figure that out. So I wish we would put more emphasis on character development and developing like who you are as a person and not just who you are as the athlete. So then when your time is over, you can carry on and be able to look back fondly at your career and stuff. Really appreciate that, uh, Sierra. We're going to come back to, to, I want you to talk in a little bit later in the podcast about your post-athletic yeah. career and what have you. But Ainsley, take a little bit of time and you just from your perspective is that that self-esteem tension between performance, how you relate to your teammates and how that impacts your just your self-esteem. I'm so glad that Sierra brought up identity because I think that's really kind of what it comes down to as far as when you grow up, like this is your sports, your life, right? It becomes your life. It becomes your identity. And when you are a competitor at a high level, it's not only like this is my identity, but also I want to perform well for my team. It's about not letting your people down too. And I think it's easy to kind of carry that weight on your shoulders if you're battling through an injury and feeling like, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not enough right now for myself, for my coaches, for my team, for 
our fans, our, our university, the people, you feel this weight of people are counting on me all the time, me to be 100% the best me on the field. And when I can't do that, you feel this like, do I have anything to contribute? You know, like this identity crisis, I think going through injuries, but then even life after sport, which I'm so glad like you brought up because it is like my worth is my performance. And even as a Christ follower and and somebody who like finds my identity in Christ, this is still something that I wrestled with 100 um, percent. And even now I have times where it, just navigating life after sport is tough because so much of that becomes wrapped into our sport. It's who we are and, the, and it's how like I view myself and my worth. Um, I've really struggled with feelings of worthlessness when I was battling injuries and couldn't be enough for my team. And that is when I really caught myself in a season of just depression for the first time, just kind of like recognizing that. It took a while to, I think, recognize it in myself and then also start trying to seek help, um, which is a whole other thing. But yeah, I mean, it is the two are so tied together and, and I see it over and over when it over and over again, I talk to young athletes too. I see me in them and, and know that. And so, yeah, I love that Sierra kind of touched on this as far as implementing more, um, I think even just character development and character focus of helping athletes see that you are so much more than your sports. Um, and yes, that it's hard when it's your life and you love it and you can't play for a season because you tore your ACL or you have an ankle injury or this or that. Um, but I also think we need to normalize like helping athletes navigate injuries and not just how you're doing physically, but how you are doing mentally. Because I think, too, this is why we see so many athletes push through injuries when they shouldn't or maybe coaches it, it, even like adding in that pressure and trying to force that because it has become revolved around everything's performance, everything's winning. And yes, we want to win. I mean, Sierra, we hate to lose. We are competitors, but we need to normalize um, caring about health first and foremost and helping kind of redirect that culture shift that I think starts at the top with leadership and athletic departments and coaches for sure. So yeah, I definitely feel everything that Sierra said. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think the NCAA has started to begin to recognize and encourage athletic departments to, I don't think they've mandated anything at this point, but I think they're starting to look at it, encourage the athletic departments to take more interest and care and interest in this. But, you know, Ainsley, I'm, and again, and I want to make sure our listeners know this isn't uh, specific to the two universities these young women performed at and, and competed with. This is pervasive. This is all the way across. And we're talking a lot about these women were D1 athletes, but it impacts D2, D3, uh, all athletes in terms of competition, what have you. High school athletes, um, you know, I get caught up in this, what have you. I used to compete. I can look back and reflect on, you know, um, my mental health. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, I didn't have any, no one talk, ever talked about it, uh, what have you. And so, but I think, you know, how are, I guess one of the questions I've got is, all right, to what degree are coaches trained and aware and how, how, what has your, been your experience about it, how they deal with this, with injuries, mental health? And I know you touched on it, but Ainsley, take a minute and just Take, talk a little bit more about that from our previous conversations. So I think as far as like our coaches trained or is there something in place or kind of the perspective they bring, 
I'm not really sure like I can speak to knowing what's there. I don't think there's really anything there that I know of. I think that would be a great, uh, I know conversations have already come up. Like during my time there, I got the chance to be our ACC conference representative. And so meeting with um, other student athletes from Duke, North Carolina, all the ACC schools, we would come and talk about issues that have been brought up within our um, different programs and from student athletes at each school. And the constant thing that kept being brought up was, mental health and we need resources and we need um, programming centered around this. And the conversation kind of started coming up then and we started advocating for resources and change and stuff. And um, I know that now there's several steps down the road. Um, feel like I'm an old, you know, I feel like I'm old now, now that we're out a couple of years <laughs> and a little bit removed. Um, and so I have heard, I, I still have some great friends who are still in the game and competing. And I've heard things um, just overall systemically, it, it sounds like we're starting to move in the right direction. But I 100% believe that, like, I think coaches do need training, I think, uh, or workshops or something where they're, um, like just like educated and informed on it, but also like informed on how to like address things with student athletes. Because so often it's like when you think of who do I turn to, it's naturally going to be your coach. Um, and if you can't with your coach, then at that point you feel stuck. And it's like, well, then where can I go? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think um, training should be a thing. Um, I don't think that that exists. And I think my experience, to be quite honest with you, has varied like coach to coach of just um, like kind of just the type of person they are and, and who you connect with. And like I said, I've, I've had some wonderful experiences with some coaches that have truly cared about me as a person and are even the type to be like, and snow, like you're going to rest that injury and like you're going to, you know, totally rest and um, get better and would check on me and be like, hey, how can I support you as you're navigating this and remind me that like, hey, like you are still so valuable even when you can't compete on the field. And so I definitely think it's, it kind of depends on the coach and, and the season, definitely. But I think you're like on to something great that I would love to see just college athletics and all of, all of athletics take steps to where we are educating and informing coaches more to um, help even guide a next step. We were looking at some data that we've been researching different things as we're wanting to implement some programming um, for student athletes at local high schools. And some of the biggest things that they've found in early data is how to improve help seeking for young elite athletes include three things. So first, reducing stigma, starting the conversation like we are right now, like being vulnerable. We've got to make it okay to not be okay and to say it. And then two, educate on mental health things because like we've talked about, we felt things, but for a while didn't know that like, oh, this is depression or oh, this is anxiety. And then three, lead to a next step. So reduce the stigma and understand what's going on, but then how do people get help? And so we've got to like bring clarity to that next step. And I think a big part of the next step is leadership within athletic departments and coaches. But we can't make that an effective next step, I think, until we bring resources to help educate them. So sorry to kind of get off on that tangent. No, that's very good. Those are exactly what what we want you guys to give you the space here to talk about. Uh, You're letting us look... I'm, I'm going to speak as a, as a fan, observer, and person who enjoys it. I'm always outside looking in. Now, I bring my mental health perspective to it, and I wonder. I wonder. I ask questions, what have you. I've done a, uh, the um, – I'm an adjunct professor at Oral Roberts University, and I know the athletic department there a couple of years ago asked me to do a QPR training, which is a suicide prevention training for all their coaches, 
um, all their athletic department staff, uh, their athletic trainers, everybody was required to participate in that QPR training. And um, I hope to be able to repeat that again, uh, suicide prevention training in the future. But uh, but there was recognition there. And, um, you know, and for our listeners, there there have been many instances where uh, Division One or two, three athletes have died by suicide or there have been suicide attempts that we might not even hear about or we might not even hear about a suicide completion, but it does happen. And, you know, what, you know, in terms of what we're talking about today on the podcast, these are issues I think that we have to get to and we have to continue to move forward in a lot of the ways you're talking about there, Aisley. Uh, Sierra, take some time to address that from your perspective. And I know also feel free to to talk a little bit about life after sport. Is that, is that the phrase you use? Yeah. Life after sport. I picked up on that. Okay. Uh, you guys have your own terminology. That's an interesting, uh, I want to call it post something. <laughs> I like life after sport. But talk a little bit about some of the things that you, you've had to deal with along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to quickly touch on what you were saying about not knowing if there were so many, you know, attempted suicides. We actually had like a couple at my small university and we were D1, but we were small D1. Like, so we weren't as high intensity as like, you know, your OU, OSU type schools. And we were still having those. So I can, I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like there. That has just kind of really opened my eyes to why this is so needed. And like Ains was saying, we weren't even, we didn't even understand what we were feeling. And I wish I would have had like more of this idea of what mental health is and why it's so important. Because I remember one time one of my uh, mentors was like, why don't you go see a sports psychologist? And I was like, why would I do that? That sounds so weird. And I wish I would have because maybe I would have hit the ball better. I think it's it's like you said, it's okay to not be okay. And I wish I would have told myself that a little bit earlier. But like for life after sport, that's been a major struggle because your identity is so caught up in what you did and not who you are. From, from when you were a, a child. Yeah. Yeah. Starting at four years old, it all became softball. And oh my gosh, that takes you back to like the recruiting process. And I don't, I'm not sure what it's like for other sports, but I know for softball, it was crazy. Like there was at some point where you could recruit somebody in eighth grade before they're even like physically developed. And a lot can change from being in eighth grade to being a senior in high school. Like your body changes so much you're less clumsy, like you just start developing more coordination, your skills just rapidly skyrocket. And that was really hard to see some of our standout eighth graders in my community getting like these big D1 offers. But then it would seem like they would have that. And then once they got into high school, it would drop. Yeah. So then their offers would drop off as soon as they kind of developed and you kind of had more of an idea of what their skill set was. Um, and that was hard for me to see and watch that. And even going through the recruiting process myself, a lot of it was, I don't know about you, Ains, but I knew from like a really young age that I wanted to pursue medicine. Medicine was it for me. And anytime I would talk to a coach and tell them that I wanted to do that, they were completely uninterested in me after that because they didn't want someone who would be in labs until, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, like when we're supposed to be at practice. They wanted someone who would be there do their sport. And then a lot of the times they told me my options were I could be a teacher or I could do business. And 
I just, that wasn't for me. That's not what I wanted. And so dealing with that and knowing very clearly what I wanted my career choice to be, and then being told no, regardless of what my skill set was, because of this choice that I had made, that's going to affect my future as I age. A lot of times, I don't think coaches get, you can't play softball forever. And that I am the people who go pro, that's amazing. They, the amount of time and effort that they put into their skill and their craft, I respect that. But for most people, that's not, that's not what happens. It's a very small percentage. Yeah. One, and 1% of athletes go into D1 programs. And so then even a smaller percentage of that is really going on to play pro. And so I think it starts there of we need to take the value back and take it to I value what you're going to do with your life and who you are as a person. And if you have a specific skill set that will help advance my team, that's great. You deserve to be here. And so then I was dealing with that. And honestly, I just I'm so grateful for HBU and my coaches I had there because they invested in me off the field. They I was not restricted on classes that I could take. If I had a lab that I needed to go to, they were like, all right, see you later and didn't didn't care. And they wanted me to be able to have this future that I'm going to have. Looking back now, sometimes I would get so frustrated that I was not performing this well or that I wasn't feeling like I had the intensity that I needed. But honestly, they prepared me for life after college and after softball. And I feel like I'm doing really well and really you know, growing into the person that I'm going to be after softball. But it took me a long time to get there. <laughs> um, I remember immediately after softball, I was like, well, I don't know. What do I do now? What what do workouts look like? And let me tell you, they change. You cannot do the same things you did in college anymore. And I think I really struggled with not being able to do my college workouts. And they're like, no, I, I, I need to do this. Like, I used to be able to do this. But your body changes and... One thing I've really struggled with is kind of just how muscular I am and how I have to be very intentional about the clothes that I buy. So my last year in college, I ripped three pairs of jeans right down the middle. And that was so embarrassing. But I was strong and I could throw the ball hard. I could hit the ball hard. And that's what should have mattered to me. And I even still struggle with that, with weight and, you know, that being such a big deal to me and my relationship with food sometimes is a little spotty because a lot of the times my coaches were great at telling us our food was fuel. But when you're outside of the sport and now you're not using your body like that anymore, it can be hard to still appreciate that strength. So that's been something I really had to kind of talk with myself about and recognize that, hey, I used to be able to do all these really cool things. And I am strong and I'm muscular and I put in work to make sure that I could do that. And I need to be grateful that I still have that muscular body who could, if I started back training, I might be able to do that again. And so I think a lot of the times I hear a lot of athletes struggle with their relationship with food after sport. And I've done that myself. And I wish that we would have more talk about what it's like when you transition out your workouts, you don't have that coach yelling in your ear to come on one more, do it again, do it again. And you don't have that trainer telling you, okay, well, let's try to eat this. This is going to fuel your body. And so that's been really hard for me to navigate. So even, even just creating programming to talk about that after the fact, like your body will change so much after your sport, you start losing that muscle and you're like, what is happening? Like, where's it going? And just even, you know, 
being okay with that. It's it's okay for your body to change because you're not doing what you're what you were doing for years anymore. And it's a lot. I, you know, I'm not as active now. We're we're sitting in a chair eight hours a day studying, and that's that's just how it is right now. And so being okay with that and teaching people that your body will change and it's not something that you should be ashamed of. It shows that you were able to, you know, deal with pressure and your body was able to adapt to be able to perform. And that is such a special and wonderful thing that we should celebrate. That's great. I really appreciate that. And I think for our listeners, I mean, you can sort of hear in there that uh, in that struggle or that relationship with food, sometimes that can be some of the seminal sources of things that turn into eating disorders at times. And uh, you have to be very, very cognizant and aware of that process and in all that that's uh, about. And again, body image change, what have you. It's, uh, hey, it, in, in our culture, uh, the messages that we get is, as athletes that you get, uh, as we get all over the place, is that um, uh, it can be a real source of, uh, again, back into our self-esteem, our anxiety, Hey, uh, I, I'm one of your top stress eaters. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm at the top of the food chain on that. I mean, if I get stressful, I start eating things, and it's not health food. I want to Ainsley ask you a little bit more about explore this thing with uh, you know now the big thing is with uh, the portals. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, and I'm again I'm an outsider I'm watching. I pay close attention. I have a team. Everybody that knows me knows what that team is. I will mention them by name and um, right now on this. And uh, but I watch with the portal, and you see. And I'm wondering, like, if you know, to what degree are athletes maybe even? It, it makes it look like oh, they have a choice, but. It, it, that's I think that's true. Uh, other other student uh, students get a chance to I don't I don't want to go to this school anymore. I want to go to that school. Mm-hmm. They can do that and transfer what have you. Athletes should have they've created that now where they have so, so, a lot of those same options. But I also wonder about it sometimes if if it might be tied to performance that maybe you didn't quite live up to what we had hoped you would be, and maybe it's time for you to move on or that injury you've been struggling with. But just take some time. You guys have a inside look at that. How does that all fit together? Ace, let me start with you on that. Yes, I'm so glad you brought it up. This was a hot topic at our ACC meetings. Um, so the legislation got passed after my time, but the conversations and us working on the legislation and proposals for it started earlier on. And I know this is a hot take, but I am a big, big fan of the transfer portal. Uh, we needed it. Um, athletes need an out. Uh, I think especially with uh, there just being some systemic, I think, issues of just athletes should still have a choice to move. Um, Even I'm so glad Sierra brought up academics. If you decide that you academically at another school is a better fit, like your coach shouldn't be able to hold you back and not allow you to transfer because any other normal student can make a decision for their life and their self to transfer at any point. My view is that student athletes should absolutely have that same right um, and that same freedom. And so... I definitely think the portal has been a really great thing. Um, Athletes have been very much strong advocates for that for a while. You know, I know that's a hot take. I I agree with that. I I think a little bit there could be some more regulations and just some bringing some wisdom and conversation to that, what it looks like. But I do think that that has been a huge step in the right direction to allow an out because I I think to it, at least if, if there's issues with um, coaches or like you had mentioned, you know, like an injury and maybe they're like not necessarily interested in that player anymore. 
I think a lot of times coaches could decommit from players and just be like, oh, well, you're not useful to me anymore. But then before the portal, it put athletes in a really tough situation because it was just harder to explore options. You really couldn't. You kind of had your hands tied behind your back. There were so many like you had to for like a certain window get approval from your coach to even like be open to transfers. There's so many like logistical things that really kind of limited an athlete's option. And so then you're just trying to make the best of whatever situation has been handed to you. And so I do think it is rightfully so put some power back in the student athlete's hand for their own future to be able to decide and make a decision that's best for them, um, whether maybe they find themselves in a situation uh, with an injury and they don't feel like they're getting the care that they need, uh, you know, for their mental health, maybe need to be in a different environment. I think, too, I've seen people have coaches that have tried to block transfers before the transfer portal was a thing and for their mental health, we needed to move closer to family. You know, there's so many reasons that we should be able to do that. Other, so, just like any other student. Absolutely. So I am a, a huge, huge fan of the portal. I think it's been great. I know that's definitely a hot take if you scroll on Facebook because people have got their team and they're upset when their their player transfers. And it's not always just that, oh, somebody wasn't wanting to compete for the playing time. There's so much more to it that people don't see behind the scenes. And I think, too, we've got to remember at the end of the day, I get everybody's got their team. You've got your TV rally around and you want to see your players out there performing well and scoring goals so that your team wins. But at the end of the day, these are still people first. They're humans. And like we have got to support them for who they are, not for you wanting your, you know, Sooners to win on Saturday, which same, you know, <laughs> but like we've got to like, let's bring the humanity back to it where people are recognizing these are people, these are humans and um, I think there all have been some really great changes in the right direction. Um, so that's been really good to see. Yeah. You know, in business, um, one of the things that's out there is, you know, the, the an employee assistance program, EAP. Some of our listeners are surely are, uh, familiar with that. And the idea behind an employee assistance program is uh, a company that has a contract or a source where an employee who might be struggling with uh, a family issue, a substance abuse issue, or um, a mental health related issue that they can go and get very easy access to get professional consultation in a way that that confidentiality is protected from the company, so to speak, and what have you. And so, you know, I, I sort of have toyed around as we prepare, I've thought about this particular podcast. You know, what are your thoughts about? how that should be managed in terms of how an athlete and what should be available to an, a, an athlete to be able to, to seek professional consultation without consequences in uh, messages like weakness or, uh, you know, other things that are detrimental to them being able to, like you said, the stigma that is attached to it or whatever. And uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that from both of you. Sarah, will we start with you on that? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely needed. I mean, I remember I remember one time I I just was having a really bad day. I broke down crying at practice. And my teammates were like, what is wrong with her? What is going on? And to feel like you have nowhere to turn when you're not really sure what you're feeling yourself, it's hard because you you feel so isolated. You feel alone. And I was lucky enough to have coaches that cared to know those things. Like if I was having 
I remember one time I had a I had a boyfriend sophomore year that I just thought I was going to marry and just wound up really not working out. And I spent practice one day with my coach. We had like group practice that day. I spent the whole time after my group practice while she was watching another group practice talking to her about it. And I was just lucky enough to have that for the but for those people who don't, I think there definitely needs to be an anonymous thing. Even like at OU, if we see somebody struggling, there is a way that we can tell somebody about it anonymously and then they can reach out to them. Um, even something like that is so helpful. But I think we're I think you're right. We need to reduce this stigma of not want not like it making it okay to ask for help because a lot of the times I didn't want to ask for help because I didn't want my teammates to see that I needed help with something. I wanted to, you know, look like I was a leader, like I had things put together and be able to really kind of lead in that example of getting my teammates excited, you know, and wanting wanting us to be like put together on the field and off the field. And so a lot of the times when I was struggling with things, you just bottle it up and you push it down, you push it down. And that's not okay because there were a couple of times where I just broke down and they got to see that side and wonder what was really going on. Um, and I, you know, I wonder now how many of them were feeling the same same way. And if I would have been more honest, maybe we could have talked about it. Um, so I think it is needed, especially if you have those coaches, you know, who are, who are more so like not feelers, you know, work it out on the field type people. Um, sometimes that just doesn't work. And if you constantly like, look at it like that, then you stop finding that fulfillment in your sport and it stops becoming fun. And then you start wondering why you're even doing it in the first place. Um, so I think even an anonymous reporting system or even just having a designated person on campus that people can go talk to without anybody knowing, have them in like a remote location and, you know, make it private. I feel like that in itself would just solve a lot of the problems that we see in athletes because so much of it is tied to you not wanting to show that weakness and you wanting to come off as a great leader and a great captain for your team and not wanting to deal with your own problems because you don't want people to see that weakness and you don't want them to see that you're a human just like they are. Um, a lot of it, you know, you become a machine like you, you work on those fundamentals so much that you don't even have to think about it anymore. And we need to get to that point where we work on how we view ourselves and how we think about problems and how we deal with our stress, where we don't have to think about it anymore either. So the same amount of effort and the same amount of practice needs to go into how we're thinking about our mental health and how we're thinking about who we are on the field, who we are off the field, and what our future is going to look like as it does any skill that we learn in our sport. For sure. I'm so glad you brought up OU. Because that's why I like wanted to share about too. Um, me and Sarah live in our best lives at OU Tulsa. Yeah. We love our leadership. Like the programming has also, I think, given us a really good uh, kind of foundation of what we're wanting to carry to um, hopefully some local high schools with mental health programming. But I think the biggest thing is like coaches and leadership, they create culture. They set the standard. They make it okay or not okay to talk about these things, to seek help those sorts of things and help identify that next step. So at OU Tulsa, and Sierra touched on this a little bit, but we have what's called our student success program. And so we have a licensed therapist on staff that is available to us that we can make appointments with. Her office is in a way that's like 
kind of like through this hallway where it's private. People don't see you go. Not that I care if anybody sees because at this point, like, I feel like I've gone to such a healthy place (laughs) with it where, you know, I'm not afraid to say, hey, yeah, I need help working through these things. Um, But they have her in a private place and we can go talk to her. And it's not things that get shared with our leadership or with our attendings or that sort of thing. It's this separate thing. Um, She's there for us to go to, to talk to, to process things with. She helps us even with the developmental side of just things of like helping us grow as people. Um, So just like being invested in as a person that way, even as a med student, has been amazing. It's been really cool to see leadership that is so not only supportive, but has taken initiative to put things in place for us. Um, And so seeing that and what we've got really excited about, like, potentially being able to partner with Fixby with mental health programming because their leadership is just phenomenal. Um, Again, like proud to be a Spartan. But like to see leadership that's open and receptive and that wants to do it. That's to me, that's the biggest thing, because um, just like you talked about, like having those resources, leadership is the component that's able to put that into place and then make it okay. Um, Because unfortunately, there's a lot of situations where if it's seen as weakness from your leader, and that's how it's stated from your coach, your leader, where you can't talk about that or it's weakness, that's going to trickle down and just cause this toxic culture. Um, So it's been really good to see some leadership kind of shifting the culture there. And I know we're really thankful for the environment we get to be in now and want to kind of create some of that programming elsewhere too. Yeah. So what you're seeing there, what University of Oklahoma Tulsa has set up for you as medical students um, and uh, you know other students there is that sort of that same model in a athletic department setting where it would be something very, very similar to that. And I hope our listeners are making that connection and seeing and getting a vision for that because I think it's a really great model to look at. Take some time. I I know you ladies are preparing to um, apply for a Schweitzer Fellowship. And uh, is that okay to talk about that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, you've got some ideas about um, helping some um, local uh, student athletes uh, at the high school level, what have you. Take some time and talk about kind of what you guys are working on and planning. And you've mentioned there at Bixby, and uh, um, I'd like to. Uh, May to help you guys make a connection there, and uh, but talk about kind of where you're going with that, and what is your vision for the future and their role as you guys are soon being MDs out there practicing, and hopefully here in Oklahoma, and uh, that nice job Oklahoma <laughs> strong. Okay, you know, we need you guys, and uh, kind of talk a little bit about that. Yes. Well, we appreciate you making the connection. And also, <laughs> Leah, if she's listening. We shout out to Leah. Shout out to Leah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Schweitzer Fellows or not, you know, that's something that we'll pursue. We know that this is a passion of ours and a project that we're working on regardless and wanting to just bring here um, to local high school. So the idea and right now it's it's with Bixby is to design programming specifically kind of like what we've been talking about, um, mental health programming for student athletes specifically, um, programming that can be sustainable, replicable, and scalable because we know each school has different needs, right? It's going to look different. Um, But so that we can create systems and processes and identify like based off student athlete needs, what's working, what's not, what's helpful, try to design that, put it into place, and then be able to share that with local high schools and even beyond. But obviously, you know, our heart is Tulsa and to start here first and that sort of thing. And so really, very beginning stages right now, but our biggest thing is 
accept kind of what we're doing today, start the conversation. So we're looking at starting focus groups with student athletes and um, leading with vulnerability, um, also asking for um, their insight, their perspective. Um, what do you need? What will make you feel supported? Uh, we definitely want to start with that first because trust me, we've got ideas and we've got experiences, but our biggest heart is to understand the need and best able to be able to serve that. And so starting kind of conversations and focus groups with some student athlete leaders will be the first step. And then designing some programming that um, similar to what we've kind of already talked about, just putting things in place. And I think identifying and clarifying the next step, how can you get help? Um, can you refer a friend to, you know, get help if you're noticing somebody struggling and how can I arrange for somebody to reach out and them to get the help they need um, is a start. But yeah, we've got tons of ideas. We're really excited. We've been really thankful for Bixby. And again, like I'm a very proud alum. Uh, <laughs> so that has been really cool to uh, get to be in the beginning phases of that. And I think looking to the future, we are Tulsa girls. I know our plan is to stay here and I think even potentially get to serve this population and projects like these long-term, hopefully it's future pediatricians. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Bixby, Bixby has already been so wonderful to work with. They've already sent us some of the survey responses they've had from their athletes talking about what they feel like is needed. So, and it, honestly, a lot of it, they, they're so honest in it and sometimes it's, it breaks your heart to kind of read it. So even just, I'm really excited to be able to go and talk to them because part of it is you can't serve your community without really understanding, you know, what they're feeling, what they feel like they want and what they need. If I have this idea, but it doesn't serve them, it's not going to benefit them. And so a lot of it too is we're hoping that we can, you know, encourage that buy-in from them too of making them like, you know, the ones driving the bus. They get to make the decisions. And so that's, we're honestly there to just kind of listen and help come up with solutions to problems. Um, because today's kids, they know what they need and we just want to be able to be there to support them. I'm honestly really excited. I feel like it can't come fast enough <laughs> to be able to talk about that stuff. And even kind of just like, I feel like it also helps me too, because it's helped me kind of search, you know, some feelings in my heart and understand a little bit more about why I feel the way I did. And maybe like I didn't recognize that at the time, but now looking back, I, I recognize these feelings that I have. And even like admitting to, you know, my struggles with weight and food and being able to talk about that with somebody else and be relatable and not, you know, come off as someone who has things together. It's perfect because that's very far from the truth. And even just my hope is that, you know, if there are other people out there struggling with that, just know like you're not alone, that I felt those things too. And I'm still feeling those things. And, you know, you will, you will probably constantly have that struggle. But if we can start talking about these things and start helping each other, that's what, that's what's most important.